could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back to Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we're getting started just a little bit late for you all because one of us decided it was a good idea to fly in from Buffalo. I'm not going to point any fingers. I'm not going to name any names. But one of us thought that would be a good idea and delayed the entire operation. So here we are recording at almost 8.30 Pacific time, 11.30 Eastern time. But the good news about that is it means we have an extra game of football to react to, that being the Monday night game. The bad news is it wasn't a good game. We don't really have all that much to talk about. So, Logan, we're going to do sort of the typical nerd sesh format here, go down our biggest takeaways from Week Three's action. And it feels like an appropriate starting point is actually the previous primetime game, the Sunday night game, where we saw a really phenomenal finish between the Packers and the Niners, where Aaron Rodgers has 37 seconds, no timeouts, and still finds a way somehow to march his team down the field for a field goal. What stood out to you about that game? What were some of your biggest takeaways? Well, I want to start on uh, on this game from the Packers' perspective. And uh, my first big takeaway was you know, just how impressed I was with this young offensive line uh, for Green Bay, uh, you saw, uh, man, Yash, uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this kid's last name, but he made his first career start. Uh, Nijman, Nijman made his first career start, made his NFL debut. But there's so many other young guys who are rookies here who have, you know, are really inexperienced on this line. John Runyon is in his second career start in this game. Uh, Myers and Newman both in their third career start. And they only allowed Rodgers to get sacked once on 34 dropbacks. I mean, this is, uh, you know, no matter how many people are out uh, overall in this Niners team as they seem to struggle with injuries every year. This defense is relatively healthy, and so is this pass rush. And this young offensive line stood pat and gave Aaron Rodgers time to throw the football all night long. Um, And really, I guess just the big takeaway is their offensive line for me is set uh, from when they get rid of Aaron Rodgers and when they move into Jordan Love. Overarching as it pertains to this season, though, Carson, the Packers were really – it just overcame a lot of odds, I thought, in this game. Like, uh, late in this game, there were a couple of calls that I really questioned. Uh, the intentional grounding call missed in the first half, uh, right before the Trey Lance touchdown. Uh, the Muhammad Sanu catch, I thought we saw the ball bobble a little bit. They got challenged uh, by Matt LaFleur. That didn't get overturned. And then I just thought we had a questionable P.I. in roughing the passer call on Eric Stokes and Jair Alexander. Um, this game probably... The Niners should have put this one away. I mean, Garoppolo should not have fumbled that football. He shouldn't have tried to do too much. He should have just taken the sack right before the Packers get the ball back and tie this game up. Um, but I just thought the Packers really overcame some tough circumstances as this game you know, came to a close. The Niners tried to come back here in the second half. The Packers got out to that commanding lead. But I just thought it was a really impressive comeback uh, by Green Bay late, overcoming those late penalty calls. Um, just some questionable decisions here by the refs. And... Uh, he just persevered. And with the O-line injuries up front, it was just a perseverant effort by Aaron Rodgers in this Green Bay Packers offense uh, against a Niners team that, you know, I haven't really been high on, but still is a really solid team. They're a 9-10 win unit, and uh, it was an impressive victory, especially, you know, with a, with a late drive like, uh, like we saw engineered by Aaron Rodgers, which uh, you were super high on. I just kind of have come to expect it from one of the greatest QBs of all time. You don't, you don't give that man any time on the clock. Like, it was a foolish decision, uh, decision to leave them anything whatsoever. 
No. What? A foolish decision in what sense? Kyle Juszczyk should have decided not to score with 37 seconds left? No, I'm not saying that, but you just don't. You know that. You know better, bro. You don't leave Brady time. You don't leave Rodgers. You don't leave anybody time, bro. Not a quarterback of that caliber because he's going to do that. We've seen it way too many times. I think you're really underselling how ridiculous this was. He had three plays to get them effectively 50 yards. He didn't throw a ball to the sidelines. He used the middle of the field and said, okay, we'll take whatever detriment to our actual time to operate that is because you know what? We're going to gain a whole lot of yardage. Like, that was obviously masterful clutch work, sure. You can expect that. Nobody thinks Aaron Rodgers is going to choke, but that's beyond just mental fortitude. That is football perfection. That first ball to Devontae Adams was perfect. That was right over the arms of the defender, and it was a massive... 20-something, 30-yard gain. So I just thought that was like jaw-droppingly good stuff from Aaron Rodgers and a very appropriate response to all of the questions that have been raised about him and this Packers team as a whole because we did not come on here after week one and get hysterical about what had happened for the Packers, even though it was a very, very bad loss, sure. But I don't think either of us expected them to struggle as a team this year, and that is really what they have proven to me over these last couple weeks. They maybe didn't get off to the most outstanding start against the Lions, but they finished strong there. And this game, they dominated throughout, and really should have probably won by more. It just... Ended up being that they left the door open and the Niners kind of kept coming, but obviously they end up coming out with the win anyways. So I thought it was impressive from the Packers' side. I don't know that I have any real stunning takeaways. I think that they're going to be a 10-12 to win team as we expected. I think that they're going to win a playoff game as we expected, but I don't think that they're in that top-tier Super Bowl group. The Niners, I think, are probably the more interesting team, although they didn't have the, more, the most interesting moment of this game because... We had talked about how through two games, sure, they were 2-0, but they had not been very impressive whatsoever, sort of eking out wins against subpar competition. Do you feel better about the Niners now after this game, after they went toe-to-toe, even though they didn't come out with a win? It's tough. You know, I mean, to to turn the ball over twice and still lose this game by two points, um, from that aspect, just they kept it close against a team that I expect to be once again in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, that impresses me. And, I, you know, I will say, extremely resilient to come back and fight and claw like they did out of the second half because I had ridden them off. I After the first half, I just thought, oh, here we go. Rodgers and the Packers, they're going to run away with this game once more. So I'll give them credit on both of those uh, regards. And I'll, give, uh, and I'll give Kyle Shanahan credit again um, with just some of his – just such smart play calling. Every offensive series, down to the Trey Lance touchdown, that really impressed me. Just super clever. You put Trey in there, and the offense kind of knows what you're going to do, but you deceive it a little bit by lining up four wideouts on that right side and then running it to the left. There's a lot of positive signs um, in San Francisco. The one that I think really matters, though, Carson, and the thing that I'm going to be crucial of as the season goes along is that running game. Only 67 yards on the ground against the Niners, and I mean they they got it moderately going against the Eagles and against the Lions, but more of that, like... They weren't dominating rushing attacks because they had to be and they needed to thrive that way. Like, it was because they wanted to run the clock out in both of those games. Like, don't be deceived by the numbers. You know, the the massive rushing totals from those games are solely because they had the lead and were trying to milk the clock. This is a game where I just thought, and again, maybe you don't want to judge it too much off of this because they had to throw themselves back into this game. Jimmy did a good job of doing that. 
but it, it has to be a major concern, um, you know, m- moving down the season. Like, they need to get this ground attack, I feel like, more solid as this season goes along to um, really be competitive. But I don't know. I, 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 I This running game in this defense just has to be better if the Niners are going to reach their, their potential. And they've, they've drawn a couple tough matchups, like the Eagles' offense is exceptional. We saw the Cowboys handled them tonight and how the Niners should have performed against them. Um, I don't know, man. It's, there are still holes in this team for sure. And they have not answered some of my biggest questions. I'm confident in them moving forward because they've got a really good play caller. They've got a lot of talent here. They know how to use Kyle, use Chuck. They know how to use these weapons. Um, Debo Samuels looked really good. Uh, he looked really good in this game as well. Like, yeah, there are some positive signs, Carson, but I'm still really skeptical of the 49ers moving forward because the defense has not looked top 10 this running game has not looked, you know, how they looked when they went to the Super Bowl. Those are still my chief concerns of this Niners team, and I don't think they're going uh, anywhere anytime soon. But they've got the Seahawks next week. If the Niners can put up, they have to eat. This offense has to put up 35 on the Seahawks. Like, they have to put up 30-plus. This is a horrible defense in Seattle. This, I think this next week's game is going to prove us uh, a lot in, you know, what the ceiling of this offense is. I think the run game for this Niner team is an interesting point of discussion because, as you said, they have run the ball a lot, but they're averaging 3.6 yards a carry on the year, which is 27th in football. And I thought Kyle Shanahan had already passed the test of can you plug and play literally anybody at the running back position and have them be productive because we've seen him turn guys like your Raheem Mostert's into stars, but obviously he's done now and then you have a guy like Elijah Mitchell pop up and even he is pretty productive and then he was out for this game Jamichael Hasty had been a guy who was getting touches he's on the IR it's just absurd the depths of this running back room that they've had to turn to and they weren't overly productive on the ground last week against the Eagles to begin with but Trey Sermon was their only option as a traditional running back in this game. And so they go to him 10 times, but then they had to get a little bit creative with it as well on the ground. Juszczyk has five carries. Kittle had an attempt. Brandon Ayuk had an attempt. Debo had two carries. So they are just sort of in a dire spot there. And I still believe that the Niners are going to be able to run the ball because I just have a tremendous amount of faith in Kyle Shanahan-led teams, and we've seen that this has been their bread and butter previously, but they are certainly being tested there right now. So I would say, honestly, overall, I did feel better just because they were moving the ball through the air. And it wasn't an overwhelming game there, and they really weren't for most of the first half, but they had stretches in which Jimmy looked really good and we know how potent these weapons are. And Brandon Ayuk didn't have a big game necessarily, but four catches for 37 yards and a touchdown. That's his best game of the year thus far. So getting him involved, I thought was a positive. So I think this Niners team is good. I think that they're a 10 to 11 win team, which is sort of what I expected of them coming into the year. And I hadn't been fully discouraged from that through the first two weeks, but I was like, Let's see a little bit more consistency. And this game probably doesn't define consistency. And by the way, it's inexcusable to me that you can't get a stop when you have 37 seconds on the clock. That's what stands between you and a win. And there's no timeouts for the other guy. Like that has to fall on the defense as much as it is about Rodgers' brilliance. But overall, I thought it was a pretty good game for them and a very good second half. They just couldn't finish the job. Don't touch on that for a second though, dude. How do you allow that to happen? I, that's It's a huge, like just mind error. How do you not put two or three guys on the best receiver in foot? You know, one of the best receivers in football, 
led the league in touchdowns last year. You know where Rodgers is going with that ball. How do you just leave him wide open in the middle of the field? You know, like, I guess you're expecting him to run the clock out because they did a good job of tackling him in bounds, but when you're getting to midfield in that scenario, you got a guy with a massive leg in Mason Crosby. It's just, it's inexcusable. You've got to put, somebody has to. It's Devontae Adams, bro. You're just not, not going to leave that guy wide open. Devontae had 18 targets, and the Packers had 31, or like I said, 33 attempted passes on the day. But, man, that's a big day for Devontae. Yeah, came up huge, and again, I think this was two good football teams. I don't think either of them are necessarily looking Super Bowl caliber right now, but certainly playoff teams. Let's talk about a game that happened earlier on yesterday's slate that to me, was between two Super Bowl caliber opponents. And we've talked about them as sort of the two top dogs of the NFC in our eyes. We both picked the Rams to go to the Super Bowl, but they went up against two other people probably view as the Super Bowl favorite in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they came away with a pretty big home win. Ended up winning by 10, but they were up by two to three scores for the majority of the game. What are sort of your biggest takeaways from that one? Well, I just want to shout out uh, both these teams, first off, for wearing the quite, you know, ugliest base color uniforms in the league. Like, dude, like, I like the I like the Rams bone color uniforms, but with, like, white sleeves, it kind of looks stupid. And then the Buccaneers just, like, like they just looked like walking turds, you know, just straight up brown. Really good look. You're a poet, man. You really are. Thanks, man. Yeah, I have, I have a real way with words. Um, my, Dude. I, I loved watching. This was an awesome game to watch, mostly because, you know, I just like watching Tom Brady lose football games. But the Bucks didn't look good in this, man. This was not a close game. Like, yeah, the score may tell you that it was, but the Rams were converting damn near every third down that they come came up on. Uh, they were 10 of 15 on third down. They are fourth in the NFL right now in third down conversion percentage. Um, I mean, they're just unstoppable if you can't get them off the field. Uh, the big thing to me, Carson... The Bucs couldn't get pass rush on this team, and for a few reasons. This Ramsey line is really good, but also the Rams are going four or five wide every time. It really reminds me of the Chiefs offense in the sense that they're not going to lie to you. They're not going to try to deceive you and say that, oh, we're going to run Sony Michelle. We're going to try to pound the ball. They're not. Now you're going to let Matthew Stafford dissect your defense, and he did an awesome job. I mean, just shout out Cooper Cup for what he has done to start this season. That man is eating, but... The pass rush wasn't getting home. Stafford was getting rid of the ball on time. And like I said, dude, just every third down that came up, they were converting it. And I think I think the Bucs are suspect to an elite vertical air attack like this when they can't get pressure and when the offense is getting the ball out fast, mostly because of the holes in that secondary. Um, and Stafford wasn't sacked until the fourth quarter on the other end. Brady was under a lot of fire. If there's a team that you're going to pick to be the Rams, uh, the, excuse me, the Bucks kryptonite, I think it has to be the Rams. Um, and the last thing I'm going to touch on, Sean Jackson, dude, I, I have been waiting for this. We caught, we talked so much about him preseason, about what a weapon he could be, and this is where you use him. When you have all of these other, you know, curtains of distraction, so to speak, here in Cooper Cup, in Robert Woods, in a Tyler Higby, where the defense is going to pay a lot of attention to them, a guy like Deshaun Jackson just slips through the cracks, man, and, you know, he had that massive play in the third quarter where he got behind the defense for the touchdown, but he had that huge third down conversion that he took all the way up the sideline to the red zone, and in that first quarter, I know you remember this play too, Carson, uh, Ross Cockrell saves a TD from Stafford where if Stafford gets that ball out like a second earlier, Deshaun Jackson catches that and takes it to the house. Like, the Rams' offense is explosive, it's volatile, and I don't know, dude, honestly... Tell me if I'm off base here. 
I really got shades of Kurt Warner and the greatest show on turf from watching this game, dude. It was effortless. And against one of the teams that is just against one of the defenses that's just best in the league. Like, you're not supposed to do this on the Buccaneers, and the Rams did. Like, the Bucs just didn't have an answer for their offense all game long. Yeah. I feel pretty good about picking the Rams to win the Super Bowl right now. I'm going to be honest, because I just think this is right up there for the most complete team in football, and you said it. They're a mismatch for the Bucs, and it's not just that they're such a vertical attack, which, by the way, is interesting to me to begin with because they tried to establish the run kind in this game. They didn't do all that well there. They weren't super efficient, and it's tough to run the ball against Tampa Bay. Obviously, they've been the best run defense in football, but Michelle carried 20 times for 67 yards, but it was, again, that aerial attack. And it's not just that they're so proficient there, is that there's so many different weapons. Six guys had three or more catches in this one. You mentioned Deshaun stretching the field out. Cooper Cup has been statistically the best receiver in football through three weeks and has just had an immediate love affair with Matt Stafford. Like the guy is 367 yards. That's number one in the league. 25 catches. That's number one in the league. And five touchdowns. Also number one in the league is catching 76% of his targets. Like they just have a connection, man. And he can do it. On every level, he can be your possession guy. He can be your deep threat. He is just fantastic. Higby got involved in this one. Van Jefferson got involved. Robert Woods, we still haven't seen have that super big game that we expect him to. So offensively, they look so good. And Stafford looks incredible. And I just think it's a demonstration of how much he has been capable of if just put in the right situation. So I think that the Rams looked really good. And I do have to point to the Bucs. You mentioned the secondary mismatch, which we've already seen a couple teams try to attack. We saw the Cowboys do the same thing where they were very, very persistent with that aerial attack. The Bucs couldn't run the ball in this one. And the Rams were an exceptional run defense last year. They hadn't been all that great against the run through a couple weeks this year, but they just never got it going. Ronald Jones, five carries for 11 yards. Leonard Fournette, four for eight. And they didn't try to run the ball a whole lot. Like they were pretty willing to just throw... 55 times as they did and they also got behind not super early in this one but kind of early but still dude running the ball nine times between your two running backs it's not just the fact that it only goes for 19 yards because even if that went for 40 yards I would be like okay why are you handing the ball off nine times and like this is something that we saw from Tampa Bay throughout the regular season last year and they were able to survive it but it was also something that we saw as one of the red flags about this team and yes they overcame it but I still don't feel great about it if not only do they not show that they can run the ball, they barely even try. So overall, I thought this was more excellent play from the Rams, but there were a couple things from the Bucs that I was like, okay, this team is not perfect. Like they have an incredible roster, but they're not perfect. What do you feel about all that? No, I just wanted to touch on the point about the running backs. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's a pitfall of Bruce Arians. Bruce, I mean, not only do you have a aging quarterback, I'm not saying Brady can't do this, but dude, Brady took a couple hard shots in this game from Leonard Floyd. Um, I don't think Aaron Donald had that one forced, uh, you know, he knocked the ball loose out of Brady's hands. Uh, the Geo, like, recovered, but, you know, they called back. But Brady took a couple shots. I mean, like, that is what this, if you don't, you know, turn to the run, they're just going to keep sending the house on him, and he's going to take licks. Like, that's one for unnecessary hits on Brady, but two, Brady was one of the best passers out of the play action last season. And when you take that aspect of your offense away, of course you're going to lose. Like, I don't know. Like, like 
Bruce has got to stop doing this. The reason that the, this team got to the Super Bowl last year was because they were able to establish the ground game. They were able to just burn you and play action. Like, that is where your offense is best, Bruce. Don't go away from that. I don't care what the score gets to. That's why they couldn't get anything going. Like, the Rams knew, oh, they're just going to let Brady sit back there and try to pick us apart, and it didn't work. Um, yeah, that's that's just my big gripe, is you can't do that. We saw what happened. Was it, was it the Saints game last year where he ran it nine times? Like... You can't do that again, Bruce. I think it's just as much as on him that it is on this team. Um, and I get it. Like you said, they fell uh, they fell back early in this game, and they had to try to throw themselves back in. But you cannot just completely move away from the rushing attack. That being said, I want to give a shout-out to two running backs on the Bucks roster. Dude, Fournette and Geo looked awesome uh, in the receiving game. Fournette is just so hard to bring down, dude. Uh, you just saw a couple times where they tossed it to him out of the backfield, and he broke off a couple tacklers. And then Geo... I didn't know Geo had juice like that left in the tank. Where has that been in Cincinnati, dude? Like, he, I genuinely believe, and maybe this is because of all the other weapons that he just kind of, you know, gets forgotten about in the backfield. Geo's a really good receiver. Like, he's super agile, super quick. I can see him being a real factor down the rest of this season as a just a, just a weapon out of the backfield. I didn't know he had that left in the tank, man. Well, look, I would say that our old friend Giovanni has been one of the best receiving backs in football for quite some time since he came into the league pretty much it's just when you're not a particularly good runner of the football and you're in Cincinnati that's not necessarily going to get to shine and it's interesting because he's not really getting ground touches here in fact he does not have a single rushing attempt on the year but I don't think that he needs that to be productive shout out him shout out Tom terrific man leading rusher on the day had that one nine yard run where he almost got a first down out of it but wisely slid and gets a rushing touchdown but that's probably not great if Tom Brady is your leading rusher on the day I'll be honest with his 14 yards so yeah here's an interesting question from this game in my opinion because one of the things that I said before the year when I was talking about how I thought there was a really narrow margin between the Bucks and the Rams in my mind. But one of the things I said I thought could be a tiebreaker was, I said by the end of this year, I would not at all be surprised and would almost expect, I don't remember my exact wording, so I'm kind of making this up, but this was the gist of what I said, that Matthew Stafford is the better quarterback than Tom Brady and is viewed as such. Now, I don't know that we need to be overly reactive here but are we nearing that point? Logan had to cough, so I'll answer my own question. Yes, we are. And in fact, Matt Stafford is better than Tom Brady. Okay? Deal with that. Logan, do you feel comfortable and ready to speak? Yeah, sorry. Something just tickled my throat, man. I had to, I had to handle business. I completely agree. I don't know how you can watch a game like this and, and not come away with that. And again, dude, it just comes down to the third downs. I don't want to beat this point you know, into the ground, but dude... It was amazing because I had such little confidence. And it's not like I had any justified reason because if you go back and you look at Detroit's numbers through their years with Stafford as a quarterback, they've always been an elite third-down unit. Like, they don't... That was the one thing they were good at because Stafford's good at keeping drives alive. And that is why... <coughs> excuse me. That's why I'd say that's the distinction to me, dude. And it's... He's still even... He's a little more mobile than Brady, obviously. That's stating the obvious, but he can move around and dance around in the pocket a little more and buy himself time in the way Brady can't. And look, he doesn't need that ground attack, dude. Stafford has never had a ground attack. He has never had a running game. He doesn't really have one here. Like, Michelle and Henderson are good, but it's not like they're dominant. Brady has, has that here in Fournette and his core, and Stafford's still just as good. 
I don't think it's close. And Stafford has... I have been one of the biggest haters of Matthew Stafford. I was skeptical of this move, even back when they made it happen. I'm no longer. Matthew Stafford is a top-five quarterback in football. I I mean, like, dude, like, he's got to be. This year, I'm not saying that this year, bro, Stafford is an MVP candidate, along with Derek Carr, along with Kyler Murray, along with probably Josh Allen, maybe, after a performance like that. I think those are my top three MVP candidates through three weeks, though. They have to be. Okay, MVP candidate is different from top five quarterback, though, because here's the thing, Logan. There's five spots in the top five, and last week we went through this whole charade with Derek Carr. There are four locks, okay, in Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and Russell Wilson. I don't mean talent. Are you, you're misunderstanding what I mean, bro. I don't mean that, I mean from their performances this season, they have performed like top five quarterbacks. If you want to go off ability and talent, that list is not going to change. It's always going to be Rodgers, Mahomes, Wilson, Allen, and probably... Kyler. Kyler Murray. Yes, that's never going to change. I'm talking about with perform... I'm sorry. I misspoke. I don't mean they're a top five QB. My MV- they're, they're definitely MVP candidates, though, and I don't think you can argue that. No, yeah. Stat Padford, as you called him for so long, is absolutely in that conversation. And personally, I think it's going to be tough for him to win it because I just think we're going to see a remarkable season from a Patty Mac after this, maybe from a Josh Allen, from a Kyler. Like, those guys are just more dynamic talents. But absolutely, Stafford's been great so far. I mean, nine touchdowns to one pick, averaging over 300 yards a game. He has been this offense, him and Cooper Cup, and it's been a really, really good offense and a team that has been impressive. So, as I said earlier, feeling good about having them as my Super Bowl pick right now. One more real marquee game of the week, it felt like, and then we'll just go willy-nilly with our takeaways as we please. But Chargers-Chiefs, the Chiefs have now dropped consecutive games. The Chargers are obviously above them, not atop the division, though. That is the Oakland Raiders sitting at 3-0, and Oh my, they're from Vegas. They play in Vegas now. The Las Vegas Raiders. Excuse me. That's like the eighth time I've done that this year. I'm probably more than 50% referring to them as the Oakland Raiders. Logan, are you worried about the Chiefs or what really stood out to you in this one? No, I'm not worried about the Chiefs whatsoever. And I want to address uh, something a friend of the show, Colin Cowherd, said, dude, I don't know if Colin didn't watch this game or something, bruh. Homie immediately came out after the game and was like, I think Justin Herbert is on par with Patrick Mahomes. And he was like, I think he might be better. He just makes it look so effortless. Look, bruh, I don't know if you saw the highlights or Red Zone with Andrew Siciliano. Look, bruh, no. Horrid take. Colin, I give this take an F. The thing that this reinforced to me is that the Chiefs are the hardest team to beat in football and you need some hell of some circumstances to beat them. First off, Three turnovers on the first three drives. You have Chargers score 14 off of them. Mahomes throws that interception. Uh, I don't know if it was a tight end or a wideout. I didn't get his name. Number 85 just goes off his hands, picked off. Not Mahomes' fault. Uh, Then you have the ball that was popped loose on the completion over the middle. Not Mahomes' fault. That fumble by uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, they needed four total turnovers. You needed a foolish interception at the end of the game. That one's on Mahomes. He cannot throw that ball. Off his back foot, three guys back there, you cannot throw that ball. That one's on him. But they needed all of that to go and beat them. Uh, The only thing I will say that maybe is in the Chargers' favor, Jalen Guyton dropped a pretty much wide-open touchdown that could have given them the edge. 
to me, though, the, the, the Chiefs are still a top two, top three team in football. And they're just, you just need, you need crazy things to happen like this to beat them. And this doesn't apply to the Baltimore game because they just beat them straight up. That was a pretty evenly, uh, an even game. We didn't see a whole lot of, um, we didn't see, you know, something like this go down where it's just a, just Kansas City gifting the game away. But no, I, I'm, I'm not afraid of, uh, for Kansas City at all. We don't need to hit the panic button. The only thing that I think, uh, there's two things you need to worry about. The Chiefs going down one and two opens the door wide open for them Buffalo Bills, baby. Don't get me wrong. They have to run the table, but it's not like the Chiefs have an easy schedule. They've got some hard games coming up. I don't expect this to be the last game they lose on this season. They just run the table. Three to four losses could mean that the for the Chiefs could mean that the Bills end up getting that number one seed, and that could be a really big deal as we get down to it. Dude, how bad do you feel about that Steelers loss now after two more weeks now, too? Like... You guys could be. I'm not saying that you guys should feel any worse about it, but damn, you guys could be three and zero after losing to a horrible Steelers team. Like that just means a lot now that the Chiefs are one and two. Um, the only thing I'm worried about uh, that I will say about the Chiefs, uh, the Chargers' offense moved really well when they started going to hurry up, and I think that's really my only concern about them. Uh, it's always been with this defense. I think if teams run hurry up like Herbert did and this Chargers team did. Uh, they could get into trouble just because uh, they didn't get set. They were off balance when they did that. Kind of my only concern. I still think the Chiefs are one of the best teams in football. Yeah, we have effectively the same takeaway here. And I will just briefly speak to that Steelers point. Logan, the only reason that I don't really feel worse about it is because I couldn't have possibly felt worse about it than I did in the moment. I said it was the Bills' worst loss in over a year, and I said that the Steelers looked like a six-win team with how they played. And let's just say a lot of people who were given the Steelers an A-plus grade for that game got exposed because they clearly didn't watch that game because the Steelers looked terrible. And unfortunately, things haven't gotten much better since then, but we will talk about that in due time. But I think you're absolutely right. Like... The Chiefs moved the ball effortlessly in this game. They had 33 first downs. They were 6 of 10 on thirds, 437 total yards. Actually ran the ball really well. Patty contributed to that, but Edwards Hilaire had a really good game on the ground too. 186 rushing yards, which they had not done through their first couple games. And the difference is just the turnovers. Like, you said it. I thought that not only is them having four flukish. They were pretty flukish turnovers. The two fumbles were weird. The pick off the hands. Last pick, I agree with you, is not so excusable, but he's pressing. I don't know if I agree with you that he can't throw that ball on third and eight on their conceivably final opportunity. But the point is, regardless, they had that opportunity. And then actually they did have one more opportunity, but a little bit tougher circumstances. But it was just sloppy. Defensively, some very costly penalties where... With the Chargers driving down the field, down a field goal, you have a pass you have a pass interference penalty on third and goal when Herbert's get, taking a massive hit and he's kind of just tossing a ball up. They ended up surviving that because then they got a stop and forced a field goal. But then you have what gave up the game where it's fourth and nine for the Chargers. They're going for it, not going to try to kick the field goal because they're the Chargers and we all know that they can't kick a field goal. And you give up another first on a pass interference. Like, that's just kind of stuff that, yes, is inexcusable in the moment, but do I really think that's going to be the undoing of the Kansas City Chiefs? Probably not. In spite of all that, they still found themselves in position to win this game. They still have the best football player on the planet. They still have the best offense on the planet. And even on that last drive, Logan, 
They had a chance for like an Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes signature kind of moment. Tyreek Hill, they got a pretty good look on that bomb, not the last Hail Mary, but a play or two before it was in and out of his hands. And so they just had their chances and they squandered them and they played a sloppy game. But I'm just surprised, honestly, that these last two games haven't gone their way because, again, even though they haven't played perfect football, they've been in positions where it's just, okay, Pat, go do your thing. Go make something crazy happen. And he actually hasn't done it in consecutive situations like that, which to me is just kind of mind-blowing because I have the ultimate faith in him. But no, I'm not worried. We knew that this was going to be a tough schedule. It has been a tough schedule thus far, and they haven't handled it perfectly. They haven't played their best football. But I think you said it. This just shows how much it takes for a solid, good team like the Chargers to beat them at all, and it takes a whole lot to go your way. So Herbert's phenomenal, man. He's clearly generational. You want to talk about guys who are going to be in that top five conversation very soon. He's absolutely up there. Like He just makes throws that only three or four other people do regularly. He has a physical skill set that I would say only really Josh Allen compares to when you're talking about the combination of size and speed. The guy is just an all-around monster, and this was a really great game for him. Mike Williams is having a crazy productive year thus far, but I don't think that the Chargers are outstanding. I think that they're probably going to be a nine-win team like we anticipated. I mean, I think it lies on the shoulders of those two guys. Um, Only thing with Herbert, I agree with everything you said. Only flaw I think Herbert has, he just holds on to the ball a little too long sometimes, needs to... He's to be a little more decisive in getting out of the pocket. That's going to get him in trouble against good pass rushes. But Mike Williams, dude, might be one of the best red zone threats in the league. I mean, it just seems like every time they get down in there, they're just throwing a fade route to him and saying, get big corner, try to go up and you know win this jump ball. And you're not going to. Uh, Mike's outstanding. He's he's one of my favorite you know just contested ball catchers in the NFL, red zone threats. Uh, he has had an outstanding year, and I think he, him and Herbert are going to have a, a really long, solid tenure together there in, uh, in Los Angeles. I was about to say San Diego. I had to pump the brakes a little bit. Should have hit the San Diego, man. We believe deeply in the throwback culture here at Nerd Session. In fact, I'm going to start referring to the Clippers as the San Diego Clippers. Then I'm going to start referring to them as the Buffalo Braves. And we're going to be talking about the Kings as the Rochester Royals. And just doing whatever we please out here. We're going to talk about the Syracuse Nationals. It's going to be great. So now that we have those three big games out of the way, Logan, again, we'll get to our personal takeaways. And I have a feeling that I know where we're going to be starting with you here. So I'm just going to sort of hand the mic over to you looking quite somber and reflective and let you say what you have to say. Also, I did want to clarify something. It's been a half hour now. But the one of us who went to Buffalo... It was actually me. I was the one at fault because it occurred to me, hey, maybe you're relatively new to Nerd Session. You're not aware of my fandom of the Bills, and that would have kind of made me look like a jerk throwing Logan under the bus. I'm not that kind of guy. So now I'm going to throw you under the bus and make you talk about something that's going to be very painful for you, but any tears are okay. This is a safe space. If you need to take a break, totally okay, but how about them Steelers? Thank you. Yeah, that means a lot. Um, you know, I, I talked to my dad a lot about this game, dude. This uh, this loss to the Bengals was one of the hardest games I've ever had to watch as, as a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Like, up there with the Browns loss that we took last year, it was a 
it was a heartbreaking game to watch, and it's all because it's all because of Big Ben. I mean, I, I've been the biggest fighter for him for for it feels like two years now, man. Everybody has tried to tell me that that Ben is washed, that Ben is old, that Ben just doesn't have it anymore, that he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, and I fought him. I, I stormed off set last week when you tried to slander Ben at all. I can't, I couldn't take it. Like, to quote Randy, uh, to quote Randy Moss, to quote Terrell Owens, man, that's my quarterback. Uh, ben has been the only quarterback I've ever known with the Steelers. I started watching in 2005 when we won the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. He was there then. And I mean, we've had replacements in and out, but Ben has been our guy. Ben has been my guy. Ben has been one of the fav- my favorite players to ever watch. And so it was tough because I've never seen Ben quite like this. He, he looked 39, Carson. He looked, and something that I've never seen out of Ben Roethlisberger before, he looked scared. He looked like he was afraid of getting hit. He was afraid of getting hurt. And they threw out a stat um, on the broadcast. Ben has been hit 17 times in three weeks. And not only is that excruciating for any 39-year-old man to be brought to the ground nearly 20 times in, in you know, three Sundays, that hasn't happened in six years. Ben has not been hit like this since he was 33. And, you know, we had A.B. and all the boys in a top-notch offense. And I told you this before the pod, Carson, it looked like he has PTSD, man. He is seeing ghosts. He cannot... He cannot. He can't handle being hit like that, and it hurts, man. It hurts watching, watching a guy that has been so fearless, so casual. So I am going to, I'm gonna try something. I am, I'm, I'm gonna try whatever I can because I am so aware and I am so locked in that I can make big plays happen. He doesn't have it anymore, man. And I think there were a few plays that that really exemplified that. The first one that broke me, Carson. He looked senile. He rolls out of the pocket and stands over near the sideline for about five seconds, just waiting, just sitting there, waiting for somebody to come open. And instead of throwing the football away as the defensive lineman closes in, he just stands there and takes the sack. Like, it just shows a complete lack of awareness, like you're getting old, like you don't know the scenario. Ben, that's an unnecessary sack that we didn't have to take. That one hurt. The interception to Logan Wilson, that was him seeing ghosts. He rolls out. He does not want to get hit. That guy rolls right off of Juju, and you can see him. He is going to plow Ben, even if he gets the first down. And he just throws the ball out of a panic, and Logan Wilson picks him off. And it just, he just looked old on that play. There's another one, the Sam Hubbard forced fumble. Ben tries to make a play and just force a ball. As he is literally being brought to the ground, Hubbard recovers it, and you can't do that. And he just looked old, man. He looked like he was really, really washed, and it's something that I have been running away for for a long time, and to people that have criticized me for my optimism about the Steelers, for people that have criticized me about my defending of Ben Roethlisberger, I will not apologize for for one big reason. It is because I have never watched Pittsburgh Steelers games with my eyes. I have always watched them with my heart, and I cannot differentiate between the two when I'm watching Big Ben and the black and yellow play because they're one and the same. So I'm sorry if you guys thought I got a little overzealous. I can't. The black and gold is right here, bro. I bleed it. And I can't lose that faith. I can't lose that hope. Because <laughs> <clears throat> that's all that keeps me going sometimes and watching this team. So I'm not going to apologize for trying to shoot for the stars because I believed it. 
I may not convince y'all, but I damn sure believed it, and I know some of my Steeler fans did as well. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, it's it's time to rip some some people for some some bad decisions. Look, man, I love Ben, but if we are going to handcuff him to running curls and slants every single play, take him out. Put Dwayne Haskins in. Like, if you were going to handcuff Ben to literally two plays, because we didn't take any deep shots. I ripped you because I said Ben threw a lot of good deep balls. We didn't even try that. We ran curls and slants the entire time. If we're going to do that, what's the point, dude? Why not just put Haskins in and let him, let him mess up? Let him make mistakes. Like, just try something. Because we're not going to win games like this. We don't have a dynamic offense. They know we're running every play, guys. And the one dude... Did you watch? Did you see that last? Did you see that last possession for Pittsburgh? Fourth and ten, Carson. We call a timeout. We are in the red zone. Not a lot of time left. We're probably not going to have time to score two touchdowns. Fourth and ten. We are lining up at about the, I want to say the twenty, like the eighteen. We call a timeout to go and talk to Matt Canada, and you see him and Mike and Matt all, you know, delegating what we should do, and we come back out and we snap in the shotgun. Fourth and ten. We need ten yards. Either that or a shot to the end zone. We snap the ball, and immediately as the pass rush starts to close in, Ben dumps the ball off to Najee laterally. He throws a check down on 4th and 10. Najee gets tackled after about a 1-2 to yard gain, and it was like we gave up. Tyler Boyd came out and said we looked like we gave up. We did. That is an inexcusable play call to make at that end of the game. No, we didn't have a chance. We probably weren't going to win that game. But for the Steelers to not try, to not even take a shot to the end zone. And I don't, know, I don't know who to blame. I don't know if it was Tomlin's decision or Matt Canada's decision to check that ball down or if Ben got scared and said, I'm not getting hit. I'm going to check this ball down to preserve myself. It's inexcusable. It is absolutely inexcusable that we did not throw that ball to the end zone or to the marker. I don't care if we throw a pick. I don't care if Ben holds a ball too long and fumbles. You have got to try to get to the sticks and score that touchdown to just try and we did. We gave up. We laid there dead. And that's kind of my point of this. If the Steelers offense is just going to let there and let Ben die, let Ben's career die like this, I don't want to see it. I would rather you just put Dwayne in and we get this, we get this over with. Hurt me now, bro. Let's get this done with because this is not working. This is not going to work. If we are not going to attempt, if we are not going to try new things, if we are going to stagnate and let this be what I see every Sunday, I'm not going to put up with it. I cannot take an entire season of watching this if that is how this game is going to come down to, if we don't even try, if we just lay down and let the Bengals walk on us. There's my monologue. I'm, I'm hurt. My heart hurts watching my favorite player of all time go down, watching the Steelers' offense crumble. I'm dejected. I'm demoralized. I realize that my hopes for this season were that they're dashed, that we are not going to make a Super Bowl run. But I'm, I'm just disappointed, dude. I expected more out of you guys. I expected more out of this O-line. I expected more out of Ben. I expected more out of Matt Canada. I'm a disappointed Steeler fan. I'm not going anywhere. I ride for you guys. I die for you guys. But I'm just disappointed. Yeah, I can't blame you. It's been pretty brutal. And just to provide some further context, because I think you identified basically all the key issues This is obviously largely on Ben, and I don't think that, as I said last week, Ben is an average starting quarterback or anything at this stage in his career, but he is in a pretty brutal situation. I mean, he is under duress very often, but still, that's not an excuse for terrible decision-making, like you said, and the interceptions were both atrocious. The second one, as you mentioned, was just particularly mind-blowing, but the first one... 
he's got an unblocked guy coming right at him, and he throws a massive signature Big Ben pump fake that didn't fool anybody, and then he just gets lit up. And as you said, is still trying to force a play when nothing is there. And yeah, I understand the pressure, and I understand feeling like you need to force things. But man, he is not handling this well. And the offense as a whole is just suffering, man. Can't run the ball, as we've seen time and again. This one was Najee 14 times for 40 yards. But the passing game, as you mentioned, it's so lacking in explosiveness. When you attempt 58 passes and you don't have a single play go for 30 yards against the Cincinnati Bengals, that's just brutal, man. And the scoreboard will say for the Steelers in that first game that they had 24 points, but the offense had 17 because they got a special teams touchdown. And even that was a slog and they had zero in the first half. And again, we're kind of bailed out by a Trey White holding call. And if they don't get that and get that field goal drive, like that game could have spiraled out of control for them as well. So there just hasn't been a single bright spot for the Steelers offensively this year. And nothing is working. What, you think there has been? I mean, Najee's looked exceptional. When he gets touches, Najee's looked amazing. But that's the only one. I agree. But unfortunately, not as a runner. As a receiver, yeah. And we saw him get targeted 19 times in this game and have 14 catches, which is great for him as an individual, but kind of sucks as a team when you are relying so heavily on that check down presence because, again, it just reflects that lack of explosiveness in this offense. So it's been brutal. And just to provide some numbers to what you're talking about with it just sort of being unfortunately for you, because I feel for you, of course, near the end for Ben, he's averaging a career low in yards per attempt, career low in touchdown percentage, career low QBR, which is worse than the year that he threw 18 touchdowns to 23 picks. Like, it has been brutal to the eye test. It has been brutal statistically. And just nothing is working. And we talked about the potential to rely on the ground game more and to have sort of that Najee-centric offense. And I know that you're optimistic about Matt Canada coming in and mixing things up. And obviously the weapons here are very talented, but it just doesn't matter. And there's that's the thing, Carson. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Because to me, Carson, the Steelers' season isn't lost. And we can still win games with Ben as quarterback. And this is something that I have emphasized even back from last year. Ben is still, he's not a great decision maker. But there were stretches in this game where we had good offense. You know when they what they were? We ran no huddle at the end of that first half, and we marched on the Bengals. We marched down to the red zone. We ran, we ran no huddle a few times at this point in the game, and the Bengals just didn't have time to set up. And if it takes doing that to gain offense, do it. And another thing, the Steelers can't run the ball. We have already established this. We have a horrible offensive line. We couldn't run the ball last year with James Conner. We can't run the ball this year with Najee Harris. And what have we not done at all this year, Carson? I have yet to see number 44, Derek Watt, out there on the field. Teams who can't run the ball, what do they turn to? When the Steelers had no passing game with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph and still managed to win eight games, we added in an extra offensive lineman and Zach Banner almost every snap, or we added in Derek Watt, or excuse me, Derek wasn't there at the time, Roosevelt Nix in nearly every snap. Guys, go to I-formation. Go to full house sets. Put the big boys out there for Najee. Like, don't don't pussyfoot around about what you're going to do. If you're going to run the ball, run it. Put the buffet boys in front of Najee and let them work. 
Because what we're doing right now, out of the shotgun, out of the single back, it is not working. So try different things, guys. Don't let this be, oh, Ben isn't what he used to be and we just have to accept it. Try different stuff. That being said, I think it's time. I think it's Dwayne Haskins' time. And the reason, the chief reason I say that, Carson, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to end Ben's career. And what I mean by that is this offensive line is going to let him take a shot and he is going to get hurt, and that is going to be the end of it, and I don't want to see that. Dwayne Haskins is mobile enough where he can move out of the pocket. He can at least extend plays. He's, he's just more mobile than Ben at this point in his career, and I think that's what we have to turn to. Give Ben another game, try the no huddle, try trying to, you know, work full house, high formation set, see if we can get this running game going, and if it doesn't work, pack it up, guys, because I don't want to see Ben go out with a, you know, with a career-ending injury. I'd much rather us just, you know, give Dwayne some burn, let's see what he can do. And obviously, Carson, you know what makes me so mad even more? When you put in a rookie quarterback, you're going to, you know, set him up for success. You're going to set up plays. I don't feel like they do that with Ben. I feel like they kind of just say, all right, Ben, you know, we're just going to run out there and you're just going to do your thing. Like with Dwayne, we would put in a game plan. We would. It just seems like there's no effort put in behind the scenes of this offense, dude. I don't know. We got to try different things. Um, and I do want to touch on this defense a little bit too, because without TJ Watt, we've got no pressure at all. Um, we, it ended our 75 game streak of sacks. Uh, we literally did not get a single sack last game on Joe Burrow, which is criminal against an offensive line like that. But again, without TJ Watt, this defense is league average. And without a, without a running game, we are probably the worst offense in the league. I genuinely believe that. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers have the worst offense in the NFL, and I, I don't think it's close. Bro, the New York football Jets would like to have a word. Uh, yeah, salient point. Zach, uh, zero points in back-to-back games. Yeah, probably second worst, though. No, they had three against the Pats, right? I thought they were held scoreless. Let's get our fact-check guy on that. I feel like they scored a field goal, but... Jets, Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. They scored six. Yeah, there you go. Don't undersell the New York football Jets. They're fantastic. Dwayne Haskins, man. I don't know, dude. He sucks. I know that you liked what you saw in preseason, but I tend not to put too much weight in that when I've seen a guy start for two years and he sucked and was one of the worst starting quarterbacks I've ever seen. All I'm saying with, with us putting in Haskins is that we would have an open playbook. We would actually, we'd actually get this. You know, I've heard some NFL teams do this, Carson. They actually run plays. Get that, dude. Why? What's the, what's sort of the idea there? See, like if you do that, you keep the defense on their toes. What the Steelers tend to do? What's a defense? I don't think this show's meant for you, buddy. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Like we would just have, we just try different stuff, bro. With Ben, it just seems like it, it does seem like we're giving up. <laughs> Guys, three hard gains every play doesn't really work. I'm pissed, dude. I'm just mad. I'm 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 sad. I we're gonna win six games this year. I'm not gonna know how to handle it. I feel for you, brother. It's been a dramatic fall from grace, unfortunately, for the Steelers. But you know what, man? You keep your head up and you pray for the best. But yeah, it has not been pretty. On the other hand, one team has been quite pretty, particularly this last week, and that is the Buffalo Bills. And I was at this game in Buffalo against the Washington football team, and look, I was not concerned about the Bills after two weeks, although I was critical. There's an important distinction to be made. 
Now, I obviously came out and said, hey, this passing game has not been satisfactory. Week one was just an all-around awful performance. I don't want to talk about it. Week two, I said, hey, it's great. Anytime you win an NFL game 35 nothing, you're doing a lot right. But the weird thing was so many parts of the game were gelling, running the ball well, effectively getting after the passer. But Josh was having just some accuracy stuff and the Bills weren't able to really consistently get it going through the air. And all of that, to me, was just wiped away this week. And I will say, it really upset me how many people turned instinctively to Josh Allen is reverting to his old self because it's like, you just don't do that for people unless you have this preconditioned bias against them because you didn't like them as a prospect. Like, hey, none of us are perfect, okay? The way that I view a guy as a prospect probably alters the way I'm going to view him for the next few years too. But the Josh Allen stuff is just ridiculous. Like when a guy has an MVP kind of season and does something for in total 19 games, he's probably going to be able to do it again this year. And although he didn't get off to the prettiest start and I was not pleased, this was just phenomenal, man. Bill's offense was moving effortlessly throughout 300 yards in the first half alone. And it was surgical. That is the word we were all using to describe it. I think that's the only appropriate word because, sure, there were a couple of dazzling moments like the first touchdown from Josh to Emmanuel Sanders where he rolls out and delivers a 30-yard dot and Sanders makes this diving catch. But a lot of it was just consistent, quick-hitting offense. Cole Beasley over the middle of the field. Diggs getting open. Continuing to utilize Dawson Knox who's had a really strong season thus far. At one point... The Bills had 25 first downs and the football team had seven because when the football team did score, and it was very strange after they fell 21-0, it was a freak 73-yard screen from Antonio Gibson and then just a special teams gaffe from Buffalo where the wind brought a kickoff back. It was a high kick with a lot of spin on it and the Washington football team just recovered the ball on Buffalo's 20-something, and they scored off of that. But, like, they were just clearly outclassed. Bills were 9-15 of 15 on thirds, and Josh was nearly perfect. He threw one ball that could have been intercepted, but other than that, 32-43 of 43 on the day, 358 yards, four touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. And that, to me, is kind of the only thing that matters because I'm not worried about the run game compared to what it was last year. I think that... Singletary looked really good in the first two weeks. It was more Zach Moss in this one, but still, I think that they've clearly improved there. The run defense, to me, is clearly improved. And the pass rush in this one was a little frustrating because they didn't ever get home, really. They had one sack, but they did have Taylor Heineke on his heels a little bit, and there were a lot of instances in which he had to try to extend plays, and he didn't do so successfully. And now, honestly... I think that was more of the product of really good coverage because I didn't feel like they collapsed the pocket very much. But the first two weeks, the pass rush was so strong that I think they've undeniably improved there and have added a guy who looks so promising in Greg Rousseau. AJ Epines looks like a different player. So just all around, man, I think that this team has every bit the tools to be better than they were last year. And this is what I said my expectation was coming into the year. If they can improve in those areas, which they addressed really more as far as the pass rush, they didn't address the run game all that much in the offseason, but reports were promising about Singletary. If they can just do those things better, where are they going to regress? Why are they not going to be the most complete team in the AFC? And I feel like that's what they are clearly trending towards right now. So yeah, this is a week three 
blowout victory against a team that is not very good. The Washington football team is not good. That, to me, was plain to see offensively, just not dynamic as we would have anticipated. And by the way, it's just not a very good defense. Like, it's a good pass rush, sure, but the next two levels of the defense just are too troubled. So, yeah, maybe it's not the most significant single-game outcome, but it meant something to see Josh go out there and do that, and it was a lot of fun, I have to say. And I feel great about the Bills. I think if they're firmly in the tier of the top four teams in the NFL, which is them, Kansas City, L.A., and Tampa Bay in my eyes. I completely agree. Uh, Bills needed this not only for validation from the ignorant masses of the NFL community that were, you know, <coughs> excuse me, that were <clears throat> that were calling out for, for Josh Allen's regression, but uh, I mean, I, I completely agree, dude. I, I just think the Bills are are going to be there once again. I think that because of that improved pass rush, they're going to be scary. I was completely off base with the football team. Dude, this defense has regressed massively, and it's just, it's the second and third levels. Uh, like, they don't, they just don't have the the coverage guys necessary to be strong. I don't know what is up with William Jackson the third. That man couldn't cover a wet paper bag. Um, dude, you bringing up that, uh, that kickoff makes me think, are you allowed to punt kick kickoffs? Do you know if you're allowed to drop kick kickoffs at all? That's a good question. I've never seen it done, so I'm going to assume probably not. I would assume so, too. I just had a really weird idea. Like, if teams were going for onside kicks, and maybe you could do this off the tee, too. It just makes more sense to drop kick. Why wouldn't you just send, like, a moonshot up and just see if one of your guys could run down there and meet the guy and try to catch it before he does? Well, I don't think you could do that off a tee. I think it'd be much harder to get the kind of spin and hang time that you need. Like, that seems tough to me to do. But I see what you're saying if you could punt. I don't think you can, though, because you and I have both been watching football for quite Mm. some time, and we've never seen that attempted. Seems a little bit sketchy to me. But maybe somewhere deep in the rule book. Yeah, just just an idea I had. I was like, kind of dumb. Did I I just break the game? Sean McVay, take some notes. Um, I'm disappointed in the football team, bro. They just stink. They might, dude. I'm not gonna say they're as bad as the Giants, but I mean, they're a play. They're literally a. They're literally a um, offsides penalty away from technically being worse than the Giants. So, rough season for them. I'm all on the Bills strain, though, dude. I think I think it's definitely clear to cut between you guys and the Chiefs out in the AFC once again. And with the door being opened, I think the Bills could uh, lock up that number one seed out out east. Um, out in the AFC. What is that face you're making, bro? Dude, the football team could be 2-10, and ten, man. Like, I'm just looking at their next stretch of games. They go to Atlanta, which they should win. The Falcons are terrible, and they took place and took part in one of the less impressive games of the weekend overall. But then, Saints, Chiefs, at Green Bay, at Denver, Tampa, at Carolina, Seattle, at Vegas, and then you they have five straight NFC East games, but like... Dude, I really think that this is a seven-win team. As I said before the year, not to gloat, but 11 wins, I didn't really see that as much. So, good win for the Bills, not a good showing for the football team. What else stood out to you from this week? Uh, Justin Fields is going to get killed, uh, is, is my big takeaway. Not only a, you know, a horrendous stat line, I believe he was, what, like 5 of 16 for 58 yards? 6 of 20 for 68. Oh, oh! I mean, 
we knew this Bears line was bad. And we knew it was logical to put Fields in over Dalton because a guy that is as flat-footed as Andy is going to get murdered back there because he can't move. It didn't look any better for Justin Fields. I mean, dude, uh, your guy, you picked uh, him as the breakout performer, one of the best additions for the Browns in the offseason, uh, Jeremiah Wusu karamoa Got in on a lot of pressures. The addition of Jadavian Clowney played a big role here. Miles Garrett, I believe, set his new, um, like, uh, regular season high, a uh, regular season game high for sacks in a single game. Uh, this Browns pass rush was getting home. And the score, um, pretty close throughout. This was a dominating win for the Browns. If Baker Mayfield was on, if he had hit a few more of his passes early on uh, and was on target, I, this could have been a 30-40 to 40 point game uh, for Cleveland. They were running the ball pretty effortlessly. This Bears defense didn't really have an answer. Only... Only glowing thing I can say about Chicago is that, you know, their pass rush got home a little bit, but Justin Fields was getting hounded, dude. He had no time uh, at all, and I think something that you were critical of last week and you mentioned as a flaw in his game, I think is really relevant. Um, the fact that, you know, he doesn't, Fields is not a guy that gets rid of the ball fast. At Ohio State, he had a lot of time to always throw the ball, and he he showed that a lot, dude. There were a lot of times where I'm like, Justin, please, please get rid of the ball. Please, please throw it. I don't even care if there's somebody coming. Please throw it. And he'd stand back there, he'd get sacked. But it's not like guys are getting open. It's not like he's got a really good receiving core out here. I mean, they're not horrible, but pretty average. It's My takeaway is that if this keeps up like this, if you guys don't make any adjustments on the O-line, if and the biggest thing, if Matt Nagy does not change what he was running with this offense, he didn't try to establish a run with David Montgomery. He moved away from that really quickly. Montgomery had some touches out of the backfield as a receiver, ran the ball decently well, but they didn't turn to it a whole lot. There weren't designed plays for Justin to succeed, and it was like like what the Steelers did with Ben. Oh, Justin, hey, man, just go out there. Yeah, you know, just go out there. Just run the offense. Your first week, I don't care. Just, just go figure it out, buddy. You've been doing this for a while, right? You know how this works. You've been doing this quarterback thing. No, it doesn't work like that. He's a rookie. Behind one of the worst offensive lines in football. It's not going to be that easy. I almost applaud Mitchell Trubisky for the success he had behind this offensive line and in Matt Nagy's offense. Atrocious. I don't know how anybody succeeds behind there. Like, it was a rough day at the office for Fields. I don't see it getting any better. And the biggest reason why, obviously, Miles Garrett is going to eat. Clowney and uh, JOK have not really had any success against either of their two other opponents this season. If these guys are getting home, who else is? Uh, so, I mean, one of my big takeaways is just, whew, good luck, Justin. Also, another horrible call while I'm talking about Matt Nagy's play calling. Dude, it was a third and, uh, a third and two. Here's Matt Nagy's play call. This is early on in the game. They go shotgun with David Montgomery to the left of Justin Fields. No fullback, four wide. They run a halfback toss out of the shotgun. If you're going to run a halfback toss, you go eye formation, fullback off right to the left, and you run Justin Fields right under center where he tosses it so the tight end, the guard, and the center can all pull to the left with the fullback and the tight end. Matt, listen up. I'm explaining how football works to you. If you're going to run this play, you do it with so you have four extra blockers. Get it? In this case, it was Fields literally just tossing it over to David Montgomery for him to get tackled by three guys who were unblocked because she didn't have numbers. I, I, this is just as much on Matt Nagy in my eyes as it was on the offensive line. And I pity Justin Fields a lot because this is a really tough scenario. And he's just another rookie quarterback that has stepped into a tough situation. And I pray that they do not break this kid's confidence because Justin Fields is still a very special talent and a very special quarterback. And I've been a big believer in Justin Fields 
and was of the belief that he was the second best quarterback prospect in this draft and was of the belief that he should have been the starter for the Bears this year. And in fact, he was a reason that I was like, hey, maybe I like the Bears a little bit more than other people. But I think that clearly we saw that there was good reason why the Bears had not rushed to throw him out there because not only is he a guy who still needs development as every rookie quarterback does, and we've seen that this year for sure, it was just one of the most brutal situations in football. And we knew how atrocious this offensive line was, but I don't know if I've ever felt this bad for a healthy football player. It was just excruciating. Play after play after play. He was sacked three times on his first four dropbacks. And by the way, the one time that he wasn't sacked, he actually completed a pass, but he had one attempted pass Deep into the second quarter, they couldn't even get plays started. Like, they were just getting eaten alive. And by the way, he started three of four through the air overall on the day. Like, hadn't been super productive. They hadn't put up any points, but the Browns weren't putting up points either, and this was a competitive, kind of just ugly game. And then it got really, really, really ugly. And he goes three of 16 from that point on after he started three of four had a pick taken back due to a defensive penalty. And last week, I thought that obviously he wasn't perfect and his stat line wasn't outstanding. But for the most part, I had good things to say because I was like, he was confident, he stayed in the pocket, but he made plays with his feet when he needed to. He throws a good ball. He had that one really bad interception. But I was like, hey, first career, not even a start actually because he came in mid-game, but sort of wiped that off the board and I thought it was a pretty good showing. And now what I think is just so plain to see is that This offense needs to be aggressively simplified, like in every way. It's not just needing to rely on the run more. It's just needing to get more quick-hitting stuff, play action, rollouts, RPOs, just things that he can do quickly and where he doesn't have to wait for a play to develop because plays aren't going to develop, guys aren't going to get open downfield, and he is going to perish. So I don't think that we can say he is guiltless in this because he didn't play a good football game. Obviously, you go six for 20. It's not like, hey, look at this guy. Is he the next GOAT? But I think that it's also appropriate that most people have looked to this offensive line and Matt Nagy and said, hey, it's more on you because that's how it feels to me. Like, this dude was put in just an atrocious, atrocious position. But honestly... He was far from alone in the rookie quarterback struggles this week. And that's a takeaway for me is just, man, is it hard to be a rookie quarterback? And we know this. The precedent is long and established. And there have been a lot of guys who have ended up being great quarterbacks in this league who either didn't start as rookies or had a really rough go at it. But you just run down the list, man. Trevor Lawrence has another two interception performance, including a pick six, which was very very bad. He forecasted the throw and threw it off of his back foot. Like it was a trick play. I understand he still wanted to make something happen. I think it was a third down, but dude, it was just so stupid and it was not a good ball whatsoever. And he had two fumbles currently leads the league with nine turnovers. I still think he's a spectacular talent, but boy, oh boy, has he gotten off to a rough start. Mac Jones, the dude who we thought, hey, He's put in the perfect situation. He can just kind of ride this thing out and just make good decisions and make simple, accurate throws. 
Pats didn't get off to a very good start in this one. He ended up with three picks. The last one was last second, so it wasn't all that meaningful. But it was not a good ball that he threw. It was behind the receiver. And then Zach Wilson, Logan, I guess we need to talk about again. I don't know if you want to. But 19 of 35, 160 yards, two picks. He is second in the league, by the way, with seven turnovers. Him and Trevor Lawrence are by far leading the pack. They each have seven picks. Nobody else has more than four. And just rough, man. Like, not as rough as last week. And it's so brutal that he's had to go up against three very good defenses in the first three weeks, and this is maybe the best secondary in football. But one of the picks, just right into double coverage, just very bad. He just continues to force the issue. And yeah, I understand it, but it sucks. And it's been ugly for all of these guys this past week. Mac had been fine. But statistically, dude, the turnovers continue. The wins are few and far between. Like, combined, these guys have one win. I guess if you want to give Fields the win against the Bengals, then two. But it's just tough. Not off to a pretty start. I think a congratulations are in order, though, Carson. One of my predictions came true. It took three weeks of making them. But I said Zach Wilson was going to have multiple turnovers against the Broncos. I believe anybody could have said that because it was kind of plain and obvious. The Jets' offensive line sucks. Zach Wilson has struggled through two weeks, and the Broncos have one of the best defenses in the NFL. But I did it. I finally got one. It's, it's rough, dude. Although I will say, um, touching on that Cardinals game, Jags came to play. Jags came to play big time in that game. I think Urban Meyer's... Um, I think Urban Meyer's little message to the community that I kind of mocked, I made fun of. I was like, what is this going to do? It's kind of pathetic. But it actually got the crowd out there. The crowd seemed rallied, amped up, ready to go. And they had a really good game plan for Kyler in this offense. They didn't blitz a whole lot. They dropped a lot of defensive backs out. It kind of sucks because when you're talking about rookie quarterbacks, I think Trevor kind of took them out of that ball game with some of his decisions and uh, a late interception. But the Jags look better. And it kind of reinforces to me – Trevor's going to have a Trevor's had a steep learning curve to the league. I think they win 3 to 4 games this year though. You know, I think that on this back half of the season, I think my Jag stock is coming up. It's a transition for Urban, it's a transition for Trevor, but they're getting better and the Jags seem like they're they're just young and improving. They're gaining a little confidence so, but uh they had a really good game plan for Arizona and I hope that continues um, cuz it'll help Trevor uh you know as it goes along uh, this season. Let me ask you this. Now that we've seen a little bit of basically every quarterback, uh, you know, every one of these young guys outside of basically Trey, who do you have the most confidence in in their situation uh, moving forward? For their career or for this year? Let's say for this year. I think Mac Jones is going to have the best statistical season. I think he's going to have the most wins, but I think he's clearly in the most favorable situation. Although I will say, look, I had the Pats winning nine games before the year. I had them just missing the playoffs, and I progressively got more and more nervous about that as the season approached because I was like, if they can run the ball really well and if they can just sort of rely on Damian Harris, I don't know, this might be a 10 or an 11 win team. And uh, I have not been impressed. Like, sure, they beat up on the Jets. Who can't beat up on the Jets? And the defense was great, and the defense has looked pretty good overall. But offensively, it was a slog against Miami. And it was a slog against New Orleans. And they really haven't been exceptional running the ball. 
Like, they're averaging 3.9 yards a carry. They're 24th in the league in rushing yards. They've relied more on Mac, honestly, than I expected they would. So, there is no threat to the Bills in this division, if that wasn't clear. Like, the Dolphins are way too flawed, even though I thought Jacoby Brissett continues to show that he is a starting caliber quarterback, and he made a really big play for the Dolphins to keep them in that game against the Raiders, but, like... I just don't know what the standout element of this team is now because the defense has not been quite up to par compared to what it was last year. And offensively, they're just very eh. Although I thought Miles Gaskin had a really good game because I could have told you that guy was a good football player. But there's certainly no threat there to the Bills. So I would say Mac, long-term though, he's probably still fourth in this group for me, honestly, because I still am kind of a believer in the Zach Wilson talent like I just think this is a miserable miserable situation and I think that that applies for him and Fields and Trevor Lawrence like there's a reason these guys ended up on the teams that they ended up on as premier talents because the teams kind of suck um on that I want to touch on that Saints game uh with one of my takeaways and, and for New Orleans it's it's a desperately need Michael Thomas like and the reason I say that dude is just if you look at, like, Jameis's, I guess, touchdown-interception ratio, <laughs> excuse me, um, maybe you're satisfied. How can you be happy with what you have seen out of this New Orleans offense to start this year? Like, yeah, they've had two pretty convincing wins over good teams in New England and a weird, I guess, I don't know if it's fluky yet, but against Green Bay, I don't expect that to happen again. Um, like, Jameis does not throw the ball downfield, bro. He doesn't like it's. I don't know if it's Sean Payton just saying, "Hey, Jameis, you're you're not you're not doing this, bro. You're not giving the ball to the other team. You're not allowed to take any shots downfield." They just don't do it. And when when Alvin runs the ball like he did against New England, ground attack was well established. They rode Alvin uh, pretty much through the air and on the ground, not as much through the air as traditionally, but on the ground a lot. I guess you don't need that dominant air attack, but. It just makes me question him. Like, yeah, Jameis has been good in the red zone. He hasn't messed it up. But how can I have confidence in a team whose quarterback's role is, hey, just don't go out there and mess it up. Just don't go out there and throw picks. I, I Like, let me ask you this, Carson. As it pertains, because I think they need Michael Thomas. That's my takeaway. They need Michael Thomas to open up this offense, to have a go-to guy that you can just feed the ball like they did with Breeze when he was on his uh, on his last legs. Would you rather the Saints continue like this with Jameis and just kind of tell him, don't mess it up, we're going to throw really short passes, we're going to make it really simple for you, and try to just hope that Alvin shows up every week, or would you rather they open it up a little bit and try to have him, you know, establish his presence as, as a passer and, you know, actually make decisions? I know it's a double-edged sword here, but what do you think? Well, I think there's a middle ground, probably, because... If their goal is to win nine or ten games, I kind of think they can think the strategy they have right now because this defense is excellent. I don't think it has lost a step from last year when it was a top five defense in football. And the run game, although it hasn't been super efficient thus far, we know what they can do there. And maybe that kind of is their formula. It's just, hey, let's speed these games up. Let's shorten the amount of plays that we actually have offensively. And let's win games with our defense and our run game. And they've had a couple of dominant defensive performances that have allowed them to do that. But I will say also, Jameis Winston has attempted 64 passes through three games. He hasn't completed 15 passes in a game. He hasn't thrown for 150 yards in a game. 
Like, those are just wild stats for a starting quarterback in the year 2021. Unsurprisingly, they are last in passing attempts at this point, as you would expect. They're second to last in yards. Like, it kind of feels like I'm watching not a really good college team because schematically the way they run and everything is so different, but it's just like you don't see that. You don't see a team have one and a half times as many runs as they do pass, that 40-60 split. Like, that just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I think that they can maybe unleash Jameis a little bit more, but also if your goal is to have a quarterback who's not going to lose you games, then this is probably the best way to go about it. And I do think that they're going to have a relatively high floor, but I agree with you. We looked at the weapons on this roster before the year and said, hey, that's not great. Like, there are a lot of unproven guys here are going to be asked to stay up, and that remains the case. Marquez Callaway had one really nice play on that ball that Jameis kind of just threw up while he was getting hit, and that was a great touchdown. But overall, like, we haven't seen a ton of them. They haven't had a ton of chances, and they haven't been overly impressive when they have had those chances. So... I think there's a middle ground. I think you can let Jameis do more than he has up to this point, but I also don't think they're ever going to want to be a team that's throwing the ball 45 times a game, and I think that they could be perfectly fine running the ball more than just about anybody else in football. It's an interesting point. My uh, my dad says I would have kept Teddy. Would you rather have Jameis or what we saw at a Teddy in this offense? And it's weird because you did have Michael Thomas at that same point, but uh, what do you think? It's a very good question. Obviously, we have seen Teddy do pretty well with some really nice weapons around him in Denver. I am a believer in Jameis compared to Teddy, just because I think there's a different ceiling there. There's a different level of dynamism and pure talent. But what I will say is, if you're going to ask a guy to just game manage, maybe Teddy is better suited for that. But I think that Jameis, again, gives this team a higher ceiling, and if they can just find the role, trust him a little bit more, They can do a lot of good stuff. And he has been pretty good in this role for the most part. Like last week, excuse me, week two wasn't great. But week one, he had like one of the most efficient passing performances I can remember. So it's been a mixed bag for the Saints. They've been weird. They haven't played in a competitive game thus far. This game got down to one score, but they were up big early. So I don't really know what to make of them as a team. I think that they're just pretty good. I think they're a great defense. I think they're a really good run game. And I think their quarterback position is a little bit sketchier than a lot of other teams. All right. Anything else stand out to you from this week? Anything that you want to speak on to the people? Any other takeaways? Are you all wrapped up, bro? No, I'm just feeding you. Yeah, I got one more. Well, feed the people. Um, It's something that I've been banging the drum on these first couple weeks, especially after last week and how they looked against my Steelers. Raiders are legit. I don't mean their defense. I would never mean their defense. They allowed a team that got completely shut out by the Bills last week to put up 28 points on them. Damn, does offense look effortless in Las Vegas. Like, when Derek Carr has time to throw, they're terrifying, dude. This is a scary Raiders offense. There's deep threats all over the field, and Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards and Darren Waller. It just seems like there is always someone crossing over the middle who's open. And I like the Raiders' approach on offense too, Carson, when they run the football. It's really old school, dude. They always put that fullback in. Uh, no matter if it's Jacobs, who was out this week, or if they put Kenyon Drake back there, whoever's on the ground, they know how to run the football. They know how to work play action off of it. And it's a really well-designed offense. It is an, it's West Coast. 
to the T. It's what Gruden wants to do. They're going to deceive you. They're going to deceive you with the run. And then right as you're preparing for it, they're going to take that deep shot downfield. And I just love it. I love watching I love watching Vegas, man. They are a really fun team. And Derek Carr is a really fun quarterback, dude. It just seems I know I've made this about I've said this about Zach Wilson. Carr's one of those guys, man, at the flick of his wrist can just drop one deep downfield 40 yards. Um it just seems so effortless. And I will say, um, I thought the on the other side of this, uh, I, I thought the Dolphins did a really good job of dealing with that Raiders pass rush. I thought Jacoby did a really good job of keeping this team in the game. Obviously, this goes to OT. They both kick field goals, and the Raiders score late again to win this one. So it's really competitive, and I think these teams are kind of on par with each other. Dolphins are better defensively. The Raiders have that edge offensively. It's kind of why they pulled this one out. But... They can just find their way defensively, Carson. I don't see it happening, and I know we talked about them being a little fraudulent. I still have those concerns on the back end of this defense, but this team puts up points, and they put up points on everybody. Like, this is just this is an electric offense, man, and if they can, again, if they can just clean up little stuff, like uh, Derek Carr's pick six early in the game, he, he gave them one. Uh, if he doesn't do that, they win this one a little more convincingly. He just kind of lollipopped a ball over the middle, got taken the other way. If they can clean up the little stuff on offense like that, if the secondary gets better, the Raiders are a high-octane offensive team that I would not want to draw in the first round of the AFC playoffs, man. Because like I said, they just they score on anybody. Yeah. What's impressive to me about this game, because... You know, a barn burner with the Dolphins, again, is not going to blow me away because the Dolphins have not looked very good. And by the way, I don't think that they looked very good in this game, but that's kind of the point. That's what impressed me about the Raiders in this one is everything just went wrong for them at the start. Like, first series is a three and out. Then they have the pick six, as you mentioned, and then they go for it on their own 34. They don't get it. Set up a short field for a touchdown. I want to give the Dolphins a lot of credit on that series. Dude, back-to-back third and one, fourth and ones, they ran it with a fullback in both times, and that Dolphins D-line held them to zero gains. That was that was super impressive to hold them uh, without a first down. And so that puts the Raiders in a position where you're down 14 nothing like that. And there's a lot of time left, sure, but also that's the kind of thing that can do some football teams in. So what I was impressed by is the fact that from that point forward, They were just very consistently, very, very clearly the better football team. And they found a way to score on the majority of their drives. And you said it, man. They are just moving the ball and putting up points 497 yards on the day. Derek Carr has just been prolific through the air. So the Raiders have a couple good wins thus far. I have to say, though, I kind of want to see them do it against really stiff competition and I know maybe that's not fair because of the Ravens game but the Ravens game was just so weird it's almost like that exists in a bizarro universe to me so they go on the road to the Chargers this week that'll be interesting and another couple weeks they go on the road to the Broncos I'm not ready to proclaim them a playoff team but I think it's clearly a playoff offense as we would have expected and they're going to have opportunities to win some games this year because the schedule is not all that difficult and if they can split games with the Chargers and Broncos they're going to put themselves in good position because they get to play the NFC East. And if you get to play the NFC East, then you kind of have a favorable schedule no matter what. So Raiders, good for them. 3-0. and Not the most outstanding 3-0 and team in my opinion, but 3-0 and nevertheless. I'll shout out one last game here. 
because I thought that this was a big win for the Vikings. And first couple weeks for them were a little bit rough. Not in that they were completely out of games. They totally could have won against the Cardinals. It was just like defensively, yikes, didn't look good. And I thought, you start out 0-2 with this group, I don't know what they're capable of. But look, man, they found a way to run the ball well without Dalvin Cook. Kirk, super productive. I don't think that's surprising. He was super productive last week, too. But they moved the ball. They got the job done. And by the way, they also came back from a deficit because they were down 10-0 to the Seahawks. I'm almost positive. And they were able to respond. Or excuse me. No, they were not. They were down 17-7. And they found a way to hang in there. They found a way to keep moving the ball. And then they scored 23 unanswered. So I thought that was good for them. I know that you talked about concerns with the Seahawks' defense have they fallen back to fourth in your NFC West power rankings because of that? It's close, dude. I I don't think it's I don't think it's any close that that the Seahawks have the worst defense in the NFL. Like, what do they allow? They're allowing four hundred and forty yards per game. How do you make the playoffs like that? Like, dude, Russell Wilson is superhuman. Russell Wilson is the Superman of the NFL. I don't think he can put this team on his back though. I, I, I don't know, 440, 285, and it's and it's not been like years previous where they've had a decent run defense, and you know their passing uh, defense has just sucked, and it's just been the secondary. One 285 through the air, 155 on the ground per game, allowing 28 points a night, or excuse me, 26 a night. I, dude, I'm gonna look it up real quick. I don't know if a team has ever made the playoffs with that bad of a defense. I mean, that is, it's horrendous. And that's why I'm not over. You can the Vikings' offense has looked pretty good through two weeks here. Um, impressive comeback against the Titans. Impressive comeback here against the Seahawks, or a dominating win against the Seahawks. But I'm not ready to jump on the Vikings' praise wagon because this Seahawks' defense is going to allow this to everybody, except for probably the Jets and the Steelers. Well, let me just say, I'd be pretty confident that nobody's ever made the playoffs allowing 440 yards a game. Like, that's probably one of the absolute worst defenses of all time as far as yards allowed. And it's only been three games. And they've gone up against some pretty good offenses. Titans got 530 yards on them and really did not struggle to move the ball. But yeah, it's concerning. No, they'd literally be through three games. This is the worst defense of all time. Literally the worst defense of all time. And again, only three games. You've got... Or excuse me, man, they're killing me. Come on, Stat Muse. They're doing all time, bro. Why wouldn't you go single season? That's dumb. But still, I mean, that probably qualifies them. I'm going to I'm gonna, uh, enhance this. Yeah, here. you go ahead and enhance that search. Yeah, I got to say, I thought that... No, it is. Worst team in NFL history. Up here is the 2012 Saints... 2021 football team and Chiefs are also here, as expected as, you know, we just, as offense eats. Literally the worst offense, I mean, defense in NFL history by yards per game. That's crazy. Just narrowly edging out that fabled Saints defense who have honorably held down on that record. And I think we'll probably continue to hold down on it by the end of this year because it's only been three games. But yes, not a good start from them. Very concerning. Other than that, I don't want to talk about Falcons-Giants, and I won't even acknowledge that that game happened, although the Falcons did cover for me, which I appreciated. The matchup for the AFC South, Colts-Titans. 
not great. I guess for the Colts, you know, they're marching towards being one of the most disappointing teams in football. Like, again, tough start to the year. Sure, we knew it schedule-wise, but they're sitting at 0-3. You're not making the playoffs if you start 0-3 unless you're a really exceptional group. And the Titans, good for them. They won. I thought Tannehill played kind of a bad game, frankly. Henry, sure, he got his yardage. He wasn't crazy efficient. They didn't get Julio or A.J. Brown going. So... I don't really think there's a positive takeaway from that game. This division is just unbelievably bad, and I don't know that that's surprising, but they've been very unimpressive. I will shout out the team who we saw tonight in the Dallas Cowboys because, man, can they move the ball, dude. And I think they're a 10-plus win team. I think they dominate this division. I think that they probably go 5-1, and one, like maybe 6-0. and oh. Maybe they run the table. There is a gap between them and everybody else, in my opinion. Even though I've been an Eagles guy, Jalen Hurts had a couple really bad moments in this one, a couple of inexcusable turnovers, and they never even tried to get the run game going because it just felt like they were blitzed and they were immediately down in this one. But the Cowboys are good. The Cowboys are going to put up a lot of points, and that is my takeaway from tonight's game, which I would argue they had already kind of proven in week one with a great game against the Bucks. And just with the talent they had on paper, but it has been further cemented. Anything else to you? Any shout out to Jamar Chase for just being a beast? Because that dude is a beast. I have to say, two touchdowns this week. He impresses me. Anything from you? Sorry, I didn't mean to rub salt in the wound there. Hey, good for Jamar. Yeah, I mean, he caught a deep ball, had a couple of his moments. Eh. He's going to catch a lot of deep balls, though. He's explosive. Dude, I don't know. I, I hated people that hated on that pick, dude. Jamar's a beast. Can you get this can you get this box score off the screen, bro? It's kinda it's it's making me mad. Ah, Lions, Ravens, Barn Burner. Dude, Nerd Sesh fans, I went five and eleven against the spread this week. Not a great week for me. My fantasy team won Josh Allen. 37 fantasy points. Hey, man, if the Steelers can't win a title, I'll take a fantasy one. That's my takeaway from week three. Fantastic. This is Logan, who one week ago was deriding Gabe for trying to, Gabe Swartz, friend of the show, for trying to negotiate his fantasy interests with his football interests, talking about the only thing he cared about was his Steelers. I mean, dude, I would, if if you would tell me the Steelers, don't do this. I don't want you to paint this picture at all. If you would tell me um, I could lose, I will lose every fantasy week if that means the Steelers will win because that's all I care about. But I don't live in fantasy land. The Steelers stink. My fantasy team rocks. Incredibly ironic phrasing there as you're talking about how you are turning to your fantasy team, but you don't live in fantasy land. I mean, we did bring up the Ravens-Lions box score. It's the only game that we haven't touched on for even a second. Crazy. Crazy finish, but overall, mostly just missed opportunities for the Ravens. This never should have been a close game, and the Detroit Lions suck. There you have it. That's Nerd Sesh. Week three takeaways. Hope you've enjoyed. If you have, boom, stick around on our YouTube channel. Logan's got a little tickle in his throat, but don't we all? Whatever that means. You can check out the pods here. We do a couple of them live a week, Mondays and Wednesdays. And in fact, next couple weeks or next week for sure, we're going to have to even ramp that up another level because 
We need to get in all of our NBA preview content, but also we can't go without reacting to some football. So next week, I believe we're going to have four Nerd Sesh shows, three of which will be live streamed here, one of which will be live in the Bill Austin radio studio. You can catch that one or any of the ones that we live stream here in audio form, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your content there. You can also just stick around on our YouTube channel, see the video breakdowns, video essays that we do. I just cranked one out on LaMelo Ball and why he can be an all-star this year. You can check that out. We've got another one coming later this week from me. You can also follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram and TikTok are both at nerd sesh. And with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Set.